up for this technical difficulty. Get confident that taking care of it, right? Doesn't sound like a blessing to me, my friends. It sounds like a judgment was made and the results were fixed. Don't miss friends. Listen carefully here this morning. You will face a day, a day is coming, and you will wish that you paid better attention and acted on this. Hear me, I am so serious because I love you. I want you to know this. A day is coming. This list because Judah lives out his name. Judah, your brother shall praise you, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's club. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, as a lioness, and who dares to rouse him? You see, his brothers will praise him. That's what his name means, is praise. Praise. But what we see here, my friends, is significant in this whole line that we are traversing in the book of Genesis. From the very beginning, my friends, we found the curse of the woman in the curse after their sin, after their fall. The Lord snuck in a little promise. And he talked about the seed of the woman. Now, the seed has nothing to do with a woman. That is always associated with a man. And what this is, is something we ought to go, what? What does he mean by that? And for millennia, people should have been talking about that. The seed of the woman, what does it mean? And then we track through a family. We track through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, here we read of this promise. You see here in verse 10, Jacob says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. The word here for tribute is Shiloh, and it means until he comes to whom it belongs. It is a reference to Jesus. And so Jesus will come from the line of Judah. Kings in Israel must come from the line of Judah. Anyone else is outside the will of God, my friends. Judah is the tribe of kings. And then we have a few clues as to what might be going on in the day here in verse 11. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt. To the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. What does that mean? He's washing his clothes in grapes? It's wealth, my friends. There is so much of it, they could even wash their clothes in it. Look at this. And his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. And what does that mean? Well, it's not a superpower, friends. It's just referencing good health. So wealth and health will be the guide of the day when the king comes. 
And it's Jesus. Now notice with me, if you will, verse 13. Zebulun. Zebulun. We're still looking, my friends, at the sons of Leah. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea, and he shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. In other words, it's not that this guy is going to have his own navy by the sea. He's going to deal in commerce. His future tribe will deal in commerce by the sea. Issachar is a strong donkey. Well, you want this said about your descendants? Crouching between the sheepfolds, he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Forced laborers, the descendants of Issachar. And then the sons of Bilhah, which is Dan. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. And Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so the rider falls backwards. Sneaky, stealthy at battle. I await your salvation, O Lord. And then we have Zilpah's sons, Gad and Asher and Naphtali, raiders. The word Gad in the Hebrew sounds like the Hebrew word for raiders. But, the he, but he shall raid at their heels, and Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Asher's descendants would grow up to make donuts or something. I don't know. <laughs> But you know what? Somebody's got to. Amen? And Naphtali, here at verse 21, is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. And of course, that means something I'm not familiar with. But the point of this is this. Their actions had consequences. At some point, a judgment will be made. A judgment will be made. Now here in verses 22 to 28, we talk about Rachel's son. And we look at Joseph, a fruitful bow. A fruitful bow by the spring, his branches run over the wall, and the archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved, and his arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. And by the God of your father, who will help you, by the Almighty, who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, children. And the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, Think of the significance of what he just said about Joseph. You will be blessed, your descendants, beyond Abraham and Jacob, or Isaac. Blessed beyond, he says, to the bounties of the everlasting hills. And may they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Apparently, when Jacob looked at Joseph's life, he saw him to be faithful. 
Yes, difficult circumstances. There is not a person on this planet that does not face obstacles, difficulties, and great frustrations. But how we face those, my friends, is a key moment. A key moment to demonstrate to the Lord our great love for Him, our great trust in Him, and our great hope in Him. Well, finally, my friends, we wrap up with Benjamin. And Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning, devouring the prey at the evening and dividing the, st the spoil. So apparently the tribe of Benjamin is marked by military success. And then we have a summary statement here in verse 28. And these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them as he blessed them. <laughs> Blessing each with the blessing that is suitable to them. The blessing that fits. Wow. Oh, we come to verse 29 and following here to the end of the chapter. And what we see is the death of Jacob. There are some key elements to take hold of here, my friends. The first is his hope. Notice in verse 29 that he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. That's not just a euphemism, my friends. That was his hope. It means he's going to die. But the way Jacob looked at it is, this is a reunion with those who have gone before me. I will be gathered to my people. And then he gives some instructions to his son. He says, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with a field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. And there they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. And there they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. And the field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. And that's where you'll bury me. And then he leaves his inheritance for his children. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and he did that in an effort to breathe. And he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Is that not a hope of every believer to be gathered yet once again to saints who have gone by? Well, my friends, you may look at this and you say, what in the world was that all about? There's a lesson in there. It was a lesson for these sons of Israel, and it is a lesson for us here today. You see, you and I have an inheritance, and that inheritance has two aspects to it. One of them is eternal, and we talk about salvation. In Ephesians chapter 1, and verses 3 to 14, it is such an important chapter for us to be familiar with. It talks about our salvation. You ever been worried about losing your salvation? I mean, you messed up so bad, you wondered, would God have anything to do with you after that? This passage communicates a truth to us that we must hold on to. 
Paul writes in verse 3 in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And now note carefully, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He chose us, he predestined us for adoption to bring us into his family, my friends, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him, that's Jesus. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Then we jump down here to verse 13. And friends, if this isn't underlined in your Bible somehow, and posted up on the wall in your bedroom or on your refrigerator or all of the above, it ought to be. In Him, that is Jesus. When you first heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, is that true of you? You heard the gospel and you believed in Him? The scripture says that you were sealed. And you know what the sealing is all about? It's not Ziplocs, my friends. It's a mark of identification. You belong to him. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were sealed. When we think of the seal, we think of Jesus when he was put in the tomb. They put a seal on that tube. Nobody opens this but me. Keep your hands off. But he continues, my friends. You were sealed. How? With the promised Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in sealing us. And note carefully the description of this Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been saved, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you are being kept by the Holy Spirit of God. Your salvation, absolutely secure. That's what the Bible says. But there's another aspect of inheritance, my friends. And that is reward. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 6. And he used the word reward seven times here. He says, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. I preached a sermon on this text, and it is by far, by gross, my friend, 
the most popular sermon that has ever been listened to, ever been preached by me, listened to almost every day by people, sometimes a dozen people a day. It is a truth that we must not miss. He says, by practicing your righteousness, beware if you're only doing it for people to see it. And Jesus says, for then you have no reward. There is a reward, my friend, for faithfulness, for living out righteousness. For then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your, let, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do it in secret, my friends, so that... Your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. Oh, I'm so hungry. And they do it that they might be seen by others. Their concern is not the glory of God or the pleasure of God. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And then your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not... Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Listen carefully, friends, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul wrote about a day a day when we will give an account for what we have done with what God has given to us. The understanding of his word, the opportunities he has placed in our life, and we will give an account. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Hmm. 
And then he gives an example of their immaturity in Christ. For one says, well, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. And he says, are you not being merely human? I mean, who is Apollos and what is Paul? They're simply servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. There's no value in this guy right here except what the Lord speaks to you. It is the word of God that grabs hold of your heart, not this guy. And that's what Paul is saying. Who are we? Oh, no, the important thing here is God. And he says in verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field and God's building, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building on it. See, Paul went to places where the gospel had not been preached. And people believed, and others came in to work with them and, and to preach and teach them and raise them. But here comes the most important thing, my friends. Talking about a foundation. Something on which you have an opportunity to build. The things that you know, the things that you have been taught, the opportunities and experiences that God has brought into your life. People who walk up to you and say, I'm sorry, can you help me? I just need a hand with something. Opportunities that arise, my friends. <clears throat> Now notice what Paul says here in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold and silver and precious stones or wood, hay, and straw, two opportunities. One is of great value, the other there is not. But notice what he says here. If anyone builds on this foundation, my friends, each one's work will become manifest for the day. What day? Oh, he's going to make that clear. We'll disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. What sort of work each one has done. There's no grading on the curve here, my friends. There is a day that is coming where you will stand before Jesus. And what will be evaluated is what work you have done. What you have done with what God has given to you. Notice verse 14, if the work that anyone has done has been built on the foundation that survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, hear this carefully, friends. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Can you stand it to think that you might stand before the Lord Jesus with nothing? All that he has done for you, his death on the cross, 
because of your sin. He has given you new life and hope. He has gifted you by His Holy Spirit. He has given you the resources of heaven. And what do you say? Well, I was busy. How could you stand before Him with nothing in your hands, my friends? Spending eternity in this heaven smelling like smoke. I went through the fire and I came out with nothing. There was nothing for which the Lord Jesus could praise. I labor because I want him to be glorified. I come with this burden to you, my friends, because I want you to live well. I want you to stand before him on that day and him to look at you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul again talking about this issue says, So then, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due him for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There is a day coming, my friends. Friends, we're not talking about heaven and hell here. That is settled with faith in Jesus Christ. We're talking about what we bring to him on that day. Melanie and I have worked hard in our life to demonstrate our love for one another. It's pretty easy to say it. It's pretty hard not to. You know what I'm talking about. But we do things for one another. And we do things purposely that demonstrate love. I'm not talking about a dozen roses. I'm talking about a sacrifice of time and energy. And just the other day, Melanie had done something for me. And I couldn't wait for her to come home for work so I could tell her, you did this. And all I could hear is you love me. It's the same with the Lord, my friends. Live well. He's worthy of it. And it will be worth whatever the cost. So, my friends, here is the truth. For the faithful believer, there awaits a day of reward that will last for all eternity. A treasure in heaven. Invest in it today, my friends. So let's talk about what it means to be faithful to God. Faithfulness to God means narrowing our focus to those things with the highest eternal value. Remember that shopper we talked about? What are the things of the highest value that we can grab in 99 seconds? With the time that we have, what is the best use of our time? Faithfulness to God means doing that which is right and for the right reason. Not for the praise of man, but for the glory of God. 
And thirdly, faithfulness to God means overcoming temptation to sin. To respond as Joseph said, How could I possibly sin against my God? No, I will not do this. I will not. And finally, faithfulness to God means enduring the hostilities of the enemies of Christ. When we make a stand for Him, and we hear the insults, and we endure suffering even as He suffered at the hands of men, there is a particular crown that is given to us. It is a particularly special way to honor the name of Christ, to endure hostilities for His name's sake. You now know the truth, my friends. Let's live it. Here is a great opportunity before us. Go back and read these texts. Know that there is a day. And I want to stand there next to Jesus and celebrate with you. I want to celebrate what it is you've done for Jesus. Let's live it out. Our Father in heaven, God, help us. Help us. We need your grace. We need your Holy Spirit to move in our lives in a way that perhaps we've never seen. Lord, that we may make choices carefully that honor you. That we might even now prepare ourselves for radical life change. Surely, Lord, you are worth it. You are worth it. Help us, God, with your mighty grace and in your mercy. Transform us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.